Well, I want to talk to you about something this morning that I just want you to stay in an attitude of worship because this is going to lead right into what we're talking about today, and that is just relationship with Christ. Acts 12, 1 through 11. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, politics, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. But, so here we're dealing with Peter. Herod sees that they were excited that he killed James. He was excited to see that the people were excited that he killed James, so he went after Peter because he thought, wow, this is another way to please the people. And he put him into jail, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. He was kept tight. They didn't want to lose Peter. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they were out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. So here we see, like I said, Herod was excited that the people were excited that he killed James. So he went after Peter to do the same. And so he was in jail. He didn't want him to get out of jail. He kept him between two guards, kept him in chains. But constant prayer was offered up by the church for him. But constant prayer. And then we see what happens next, that an angel the Lord was sent in, miraculously takes him out of the chains, miraculously wakes him up, opens him up, takes him out of the two gates, and then all of a sudden he realizes where he is and he is outside of the prison. But it was all initiated, obviously by God initiated everything, but the scripture does not lie or try to defer us in another direction by saying, but constant prayer was offered up. The point is, God got the people to pray so that something great could happen. And it is so important for us to pray. Peter was in prison, but just put that in, in, next to one of the things you're going through in life. Oh, I'm all messed up, but. Oh, this is ailing me, but. Oh, my job, but. Oh, this, but. Constant prayer was offered up to God by the church and something supernatural took place. Like I was just saying earlier, we serve a living God. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a God that's alive. I wouldn't just go and, and do this on a Sunday morning if I didn't feel that I could have communion with my God. My God is real to me. He's alive. And when we talk to him, he listens. He does. When we get to pray to him, he listens. Matter of fact, he instigates us to prayer. He prompts us to pray. And that's why we got to get out of all these worldly thoughts and have our eyes on all the world because I can't even imagine how many times that he's tried to lead us to pray and we have been so distracted. And so I'm just purposing in my heart these days to be led better so that I can pray better so that I can see greater things happen.
Check this out. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses one, starting on verse 1, says this. Then they told David, we're talking about King David, who was, who was not king yet. Saul was still the king, and Saul was after David, trying to hunt him down and kill him. Then they told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Helah, and they are robbing the threshing floor. So David's out in the wilderness. He's, he's running away from Saul, but he hears that the Philistines are taking from the people of Keilah, and they're robbing their threshing floor. So David inquires of the Lord, and he says, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So under the hand of the Lord, David went down to save Keilah. But David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistine? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So here we see a, a really interesting thing taking place is, is like I said, the Philistines are attacking Keilah. David says, should I go save them? God says, yeah, go save them. And he goes down and God delivers the Philistines into their hands. And I don't pretend to know, like we're in a crazy time right now. I mean, even this week, you guys have seen what happens. I don't pretend to know what goes on behind the scenes and the spiritual scenes of all this big stuff and wars and countries. And that's why I just pray the will of God and pray in the Holy Ghost as much as I can, of course. But we know that God's a powerful God, even to the extent of, of saving countries. And so we just need to pray. But that's not really what I'm getting at. It's a bit of a, a side trail. Let's go on from here. Seven, yeah. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So like I said, Saul's hunting him down. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Just stop there for a second. So here we see David inquiring of the Lord, and he goes down and saves the Philistine. God's talking to him. And then Saul finds out that David is there, and Saul says, God has delivered him into our hands. This is like a crazy scenario. God's having conversation with David, and Saul thinks that God's talking to him about delivering David into his hands. And so these are one of these scriptures where it's just like, whoa, life is confusing. Even back then, I mean, people, people were confused. Here's Saul thought that God was delivering David into his hands. And I've stopped at that scripture before and thought, God, I don't want to be going on things and, and, and doing things in life that I think you're telling me. You know, because we can get prideful and we can get silly and we can do things that... Our sole responsibility is to get into relationship with God. Don't always expect that God's just blessing everything that we do. He blesses his word. He blesses his will. And we just can't make God follow us into every situation. We just can't say, okay, this is where we're going. Now, God, you have to bless this. Because we can, we see people can, can get crazy thinking that God is doing stuff that God's not involved in at all. You know, that's why I'm very careful when God speaks to my heart. You know, I used to be like, God said, God said, God said. But after a while, I realized that I have a human flesh and, and I can misinterpret God with my flesh and where I am in life and different things. And so, you know, I, I've, you know I'm more careful now. I believe God's speaking to my heart. And, and sometimes, I mean, obviously, he hammers something home. But even when he hammers something home, we have a flesh that, that has to decipher God's word. And it depends where we are in life. And I think we need to stay in humility. And, and, and humility that we are just, we are, we are God's children and, and to stay humble before him. And, and I'm getting a little sidetracked, sorry. Anyways, where are we? 
Okay, when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told to Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. Now, there's a couple things going on here that are kind of cool. It's like, that's just, that's just life and politics. It's like David goes down and saves these people from the Philistines. And then God says, if Saul comes, they're going to deliver you into their hands. Like, there's just no loyalty in this situation, right? And so that's why we have to be led by the Lord. But I said all this to get to this one piece of scripture here that I wanted to talk about today. Was that David inquired of the Lord of what would happen if Saul came down. And God spoke to him about future events that never, ever took place. Just, I want you to stop for a second and think about what I just said. So David says, if Saul, will Saul come down after me and will, the, will Keilah deliver me into their hands, into Saul's hands? And God says, yes, Saul will come down after you and Keilah will deliver you into Saul's hands. And so David left and those future events never took place. Yet God saw those future events. And so God foreknew, and that's the wild thing about God. God knows the outcome of every situation and every choice everybody ever makes. But what hits me here is that David reacted to the voice of the Lord and the events changed. And I think just another example of prayer. You know, that's why we have to be careful even in prophecy and stuff because people can prophesy doom and gloom. Well, sometimes God's just showing doom and gloom so that we can adjust or that we can pray or that we can do something to change the event. And so prayer works, right? And so things can look crazy, but constant prayer was offered up to God. Prayer works. Prayer changes things. And so no matter how bleak your future looks, we are to get into communion with God. Why? So that we can pray, so that we can adjust our direction. Because when we talk to God, he might give us a direction and we might change that, might change the entire course of what could take place in the future of our lives. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So God foresaw an event that didn't happen because David made a choice to go a different direction. And I thank God. You know, never mind my past. How many times did an event come that I wish didn't happen that I could have taken a different direction? And so going into the future, we need to be more prayerful. Why? Because we could maybe take a corner and some things might not happen or some good things might happen. Communion with God. John 16, 16 to 24 says this. Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, a little while you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples said, said among themselves, what is this that he says? They're confused. A little while and you will not be with me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he's saying. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you, 
that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for, jo- for the joy that the human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you have now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So Jesus is trying to tell them that he's about to go to the cross and the grave and the world's going to rejoice that they did away with him and the people are going to be all sorrowful, his disciples are going to be sorrowful, but he is going to rise again. And their hearts are going to be filled with laughter and joy and singing because they're going to realize that he has been risen from the grave. And so he was talking about the cross and the resurrection, but he was saying something happens during this cross and resurrection and ascension. Something happens not only to me, but happens to you. He says, what's going to happen is you will no longer ask me to ask the Father. Now you will simply ask the Father in my name. And he says, I'm about to do something so amazing with this cross thing and this grave thing and this resurrection thing that I'm about to take all the sin of the world and as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I'm going to remove it from you. So you no longer have to ask me to ask the Father. You will stand justified and righteous before him. And all you need to do now to talk to the Father, the creator of all the heavens and the earth, is to come in my name, recognizing that I saved you, that I belong to you, that you are in me. And all now you have to do is in Jesus' name and you can come straight to the Father. And this was mind-boggling for people because only once a year or prophets or kings could talk to God. And now Jesus was saying, listen, anybody who belongs to me and comes to the Father in my name can talk to him one-on-one. Now you gotta realize these apostles, they saw Jesus walk on water. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him calm storms, rebuke the wind. They saw him cast out devils and the devils were freaking out like we saw last week. Like, ah, don't torment me. And everybody was freaking out. Who is this Jesus God? They saw him walking, talking with the father and doing the most amazing things on the earth. And then Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm going away, but don't worry about it because it's expedient that the Holy Ghost is going to come. He's going to fill you. I'm going to deal with sin. Now, all you have to do is ask the father in my name. I'm positioning you in me, he's saying. Like we looked at last week, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And so we get to talk to the Father in Jesus' name, just like Jesus walked the earth. What a privilege. What a pri- no wonder why our heart should be filled with joy. No wonder why he said you're going to rejoice. It wasn't just that you got your buddy Jesus back. It's that Jesus now took care of all sin so that you can be face to face with the Father in heavenly places. Dude, the power of prayer is now in our hands. It belongs to us. Us talking to the Father, the creator of the universe, us talking to him is now our privilege and our right as children of God. It's just wild to me. Wild to me. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us therefore come boldly, boldly. Now, I just want you to, to, to see if this is this, if this boldly, I've, I've got the definition of this boldly, this Bible definition of this word boldly that's in the Greek. And this is what the definition says. And you tell me if this is what your prayer life is like. 
freedom in speech, unreserved in speaking, frank, free and fearless, without hesitation or intimidation. He tells us that that we are to boldly go to the throne room of grace like that. So we are to go to the throne room in freedom and speech, unreserved in speaking, frank, free, and fearless, without hesitation or without intimidation. We have a right to talk to Father God in the name of Jesus without hesitation, without intimidation. God! Isn't that so cool? Now, it's intimidating. I get it because we're in the flesh and we kind of, it's hard for us to understand everything that Jesus did. It's intimidating. And I know like we want to sometimes pray like this, oh God, you've seen my week and I'm so terrible and you probably don't even want to talk to me right now and you probably have bitter things going on. Like there's wars all over the earth and this kind of stuff and God, but if you could just spare a second, that's how we pray. And we think it's humble. And I used to think it was humble to be like that. But we're slapping the work of Christ in the face when we do that. Because Jesus says, listen, I'm about to do something so good that I'm going to place you in the presence of the Father, in my name. That you can boldly speak to him. And so when we're like that, we're really saying, Jesus didn't do a good enough job. And so we have to like force ourselves to lift up our chin and say, God, you accept me just like this. Not only do you accept me, that you tell me to come in here boldly to ask you for things, to your throne of grace and mercy in time of need, to boldly enter the throne room of God. And so when we're all timid about it, you know, and I'm not saying be disrespectful. We have to be in honor. He's our God. We're to worship him. He's the God above all gods. He's a name above all names. I'm not saying that, but there's a, there's a big difference between being respectful and having this false humility that God won't talk to me because of my lifestyle or my life and this and that. And there's a reason for that, which is my next scripture. James 1, 4 through 8 says this, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, does anybody lack wisdom here? I know Jesus has been made wisdom unto us, but you know what? I I I haven't got it all. I do some stupid things still. I think some weird ways still. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now put it in context of what I just said, though. Let him ask of God. Let him ask of God, not like, oh, if you could spare a minute. God, I know you listen to me. I know you want me. I know you're urging me to pray like this. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. Just stop there for a second. Who gives liberally, overflowing. So it's not like, oh God, if you could just spare a morsel. He's like, no, you're my kid. (sighs) Just ask. You see, we have this, again, we slap God kind of unknowingly because we think that he's a limited source. And it's like, well, if I take a little bit from him, he's not going to have enough to deal with the Russia-Ukraine situation or the whole COVID crisis. He's not going to have enough to... He is limitless. And so him overflowing into our lives doesn't take something away from him at all. A matter of fact, by him flowing into our lives and overflowing into our lives, we become a better product on the earth for him. And so it says that we'll ask liberally and without reproach, it'll be given to him. Now, without reproach, let me just put this in layman terms. It doesn't matter how bad of a week you had and how much you screwed up this week, he'll still give it to you liberally. That's what that says in layman terms, without reproach. Have you ever seen people that get so blessed from your God and you're like, I see how those guys live, what's going on? You ever seen that? You're like, and they're talking about things God did. I'm like, how'd this happen? God We get like that when we're under the law. But when we realize that Jesus did everything, 
And that we're not to boast about anything that we do to receive from God, that it's a free gift of God. And Jesus did everything. I've seen people that in my head don't deserve anything and they get so much. It used to drive me crazy, but now I'm like, God must be so good. Right? I remember there was a guy and he would always tell these stories of the blessings of God, how God would protect him. He was in a shop working one time in a wood shop and he hears this word duck and he looks around and he's, he said it was like a spiritual thing. It wasn't in the natural. And he said it was like an angel said duck and he ducked and this wood kicked back out of one of these machines and stuck in the wall where he was on his knees above him. And he had like a bunch of these stories. It is amazing. And it was like, whoa, that is so cool. But I remember one preacher that I really admired one time. He says, you ever notice? He says, through all my years of ministry, the people that receive from God the most have two qualities. He says, they forgive others very easily and they forgive themselves very easily. He says, those are the two things I've noticed over all my years of ministry, that God blesses the socks off these people. They forgive themselves and they forgive others very easily. And if you can do that, what does that allow you to do? It allows you to go to the presence of God, like without this conscience that you can just talk to God and expect God to do amazing things in your life. But you know, when it comes down to it, we're all undeserving of his grace. And he made us deserving. He made us righteous. And so when we go to him, we don't go to him on our own merit. We go to him on who he has created us to be, the born again children of God. And so if we could just get to that throne room of grace under that pretense that he would answer us based on that, rather than based on if I pray it right, or if I had a good week, or if he doesn't see some of the things going on in your head, I got news for you, you can see everything going on. He still loves you is the crazy part. He still loves me is the crazy part. And so you know what? I kind of get jealous in the other way now. I hope somebody looks at me and says, how does that dude get blessed? Because he loves me. No other reason. Loves me. Cares about me. No other reason. So no matter what situation you're in, I encourage you, implore you, stand before God in boldness and grace. Somebody say grace, grace. <laughs> That's why we're here. That's why we belong to him. Grace, grace. Do you realize we had nothing to do with salvation? He initiated the whole deal. He picked us. He initiated the whole deal. We didn't do anything. We just received a gift. He just called our names. And we just received a gift. And we spend the rest of our lives, you know, in our flesh, trying to tell us on why we got saved and how we deserved it. That's what our flesh is always screaming. But we didn't deserve any of it. Any of it. We just belong to him because he first loved us. That's why we love him. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, help us because our knees shake over this. Help us to boldly come to your throne room of grace. Help us, Father, to pray like you would want us to pray. Pray with an expectation and a place of faith. Pray, God, that we stand there righteous before you because you made us righteous that we boldly come to your throne room of grace because we are forgiven. No matter what we've done, what we can do, we are the forgiven. We belong to you. We belong to you. Help us to be that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Do you know why he takes crazy messed up people and allows us to boldly come to his throne? So he can 
fix the crazy messed up. It's simple, but that's it. We can boldly come to his throne room crazy and messed up because that's where he wants us to be to fix the crazy and messed up. And a lot of times we hide, which is the opposite of what we should do. We hide because we're feeling guilty when he needs us in his presence to fix it. He's good, isn't he? Somebody say, I'm getting something from God today. (laughs) Yeah, you are.